what since the second half really how much they've really struggled charged with finding some stability from this scrum and he can't find it that's a mighty shot a mighty Mark Lester the scrum battle resumes now and a big shot from Brazil oh that's sensational Welcome back to the next episode of the journey of a grassroots rugby coach and today my guest is Steve Halsey. Steve is currently completing his level 4 coaching accreditation. Steve transitioned into coaching after injury stopped him playing. Steve went into age group coaching working with the Northampton Saints Academy. He became involved in the women's game in 2010 coaching England under 20s at various points across a 10 year period. Most recently, Steve was involved in coaching Loughborough Lightning in the Allianz Premier 15s competition, which is the women's competition in the UK. Just prior to recording this episode, Steve has taken up a full-time role as the forwards coach for the Worcester Warriors women's team in the Allianz Premier 15s competition. During our chat, we spoke about how to bridge the experience gap in our players, keeping training enjoyable, giving feedback, watching other people coach as part of your coach education, and many other things. Please, as always, subscribe, give us a thumbs up, pass this on to anyone you think can benefit from it, especially coaches in the women's game. I took a lot away from this chat with Steve, and I'm sure you will too. So sit back and enjoy. I guess probably the one of the tougher ones for me was probably getting fired. Um, you know, something that probably coaches yeah. don't really talk about, but it... It happens to everyone. Um, you know, it's definitely one of those where, you know, your pride takes a little bit of a hit off the back of it. Um, you know, and again, it's one of those you have a probably reflection upon it and it's probably at that moment in time quite easy to walk away from it in terms of like, well, if I've been fired, I'm no good at it. What's the point? You know, I've put so much time and effort into it. Clearly, I'm, I'm not doing a particularly good job of it if, yeah. if I get fired. But actually, for me, it's probably been some of the best things that's happened to me because um, you do get the opportunity to reflect upon it and actually think, well, hang on a minute, I thought this was working, clearly it wasn't, maybe I need to tweak and change or address things. And you know, sometimes it's <clears throat> situational as well, um, which can come into it as well. So I think having that kind of reflection of, A, what do I need to change? But then also actually what what do I need to hold on to in terms of that's quite like key for me in terms of my principles, because you know, my principles might be right, just potentially wasn't right for that situation. Um, but likewise, you, know, you definitely learn some lessons from it and reflect upon it because, like I said, it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me um, in terms of the couple of times I got fired. So, Yeah. All right. Um, so let's make a start, Steve. Um, so thank you very much for joining me. Um, just for my listeners who probably won't know who you are, um, just in a nutshell, who you are, where you're at at the moment and what's your involvement in grassroots game and then we can talk about the women's game as we go through yeah so um steve halsey um based over the uk um of late um last couple of seasons i've been coaching love for lightning um, in the women's premier 15s competition over here um before that i uh, had a role with the england women's under 20s um so i did some pathway stuff with them um i've done some pathway bits with northampton um, like looking after their age group stuff um, 
And then when I first finished playing, I sort of fell straight into kind of coaching sort of senior men rugby. Um, addition to that, been a, been a teacher for 20 odd years um, in terms of, well, a PE teacher. Um, and yeah, so that, that's pretty much me um, in terms of, my, I guess, my coaching journey done, I guess, various roles, <clears throat> various age, group, age groups, men, women. Um, I've been quite lucky in terms of having quite a diverse background, I think. Yeah, no, that's that's good. That's a good background. So we should get some good uh, conversations and some good uh, learnings for our listeners. Um, so how did you get into coaching in the first place, mate? Um, well, I, I guess a little bit. Well, I think I guess it was inevitable in terms of being a teacher and being a player. Um, you know, I got injured pretty early on, so I had to stop playing. Um, if I'm really honest, I, I came to the game really late. Um, yeah. I didn't start playing rugby until I was 16. Um, so stopped playing about 25 because of back injury. Um, yeah. And then obviously had that kind of coaching, kind of teaching kind of skill set, but still had a lot of curiosity for the game because um, I didn't, if I'm really honest, I didn't really know the game that well. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew my position. I knew what I had to do. Uh, but outside of that, it was... Um, you know, still really curious about the game. I think probably because that that lack of a, an experience of playing it as, a, as like a little kid. You know, some of the kids I coached through like pathways and stuff like that have been playing it since I was six years old. Um, and again, I, I think that's probably given me a bit of empathy with some of the girls that I've coached um, that have came to the game quite late as well. Yeah, no, that's that, that's a really good point, and we we might dig into that a little bit later. Um, so during your coaching um, journey, what's some of the um, disappointments or heartbreaks that you've had? And, and the reason I ask this of all the coaches that come on is because we've all had them. Um, and I, I mean, as, and I remember as a young coach, you sometimes you just go, that's it, I'm done, I'm no good at this. And you're just about to throw the toys out of the cot and then you sort of have a rethink. Um, so... If we can get to all the the new coaches or the young coaches that all the bad stuff that goes on happens to everybody. Um, so we just sort of share, you know, those those days that you just you're ready to chuck it in, but you keep going through. So um. yeah, I guess probably the one of the tougher ones for me was probably getting fired. Um, you know, something that probably yeah, coaches yeah. don't really talk about, but it it happens to everyone. Um, you know, it's definitely one of those where, you know, your pride takes a little bit of a hit off the back of it. Um, you know, and again, it's one of those you have a probably reflection upon it and it's probably at that moment in time quite easy to walk away from it in terms of like, well, if I've been fired, I'm no good at it. What's the point? You know, I've put so much time and effort into it. Clearly, I'm, I'm not doing a particularly good job of it if, yeah. if I get fired. But actually, for me, it's probably been some of the best things that's happened to me. Um you do get the opportunity to reflect upon it and actually think, well, hang on a minute, I thought this was working, clearly it wasn't, maybe I need to tweak and change or address things. And you know, sometimes it's <clears throat> situational as well, um, which can come into it as well. So I think having that kind of reflection of, A, what do I need to change? But then also actually what what do I need to hold on to in terms of that's quite co- like key for me in terms of my principles, because you know, my principles might be right, just potentially wasn't right for that situation. Um, but likewise, yeah, you definitely learn some lessons from it and reflect upon it because, like I said, it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me um, in terms of a couple of times I got fired. So, 
Yeah, and that's a really good point and an interesting point because you're not the first coach that has said that to me. Like that, get yeah, like getting fired kicks you in the guts at the start, but then you sit back and you just you have that big self reflection and um, like you said, sometimes it's not what you're doing. It might just be you know the wrong time or the with the wrong group of people or there's a whole dynamic that goes into it so um and most of the guys that i spoke to that have been in that they've all come out better at the other end because they've done that self-reflection so that's no that's really good steve um so if we flip that on its head what's some of the greatest moments that you've had in that coaching journey um probably getting the performance out of a side that's been like particularly resilient um you know i remember one of my first sort of I guess involvement with coaching. It was a a men's side uh, back here playing in um, like two north, um, which is a pretty pretty physical league um, back here in the UK. Um, and the the four pack was what we had were tiny. We were it was a bunch of kids. It was a team that was in a real bunch of I guess like state of flux in terms of where it was in terms of a lot of senior players had left, um, a lot of youngsters, a lot of young local lads coming in and trying to step up to that level and. It was it was a really innocuous comment actually that sort of I think kind of resonated with me that I think one of it was a, a local journalist that would travel around and come to all the games and everything like that and he basically turned around and said oh you know the four pack that you guys produce always punches above its weight yeah you know and to, to almost get that kind of nudge of respect especially from some of the opposition we played in that league who are proper big old like senior pros that have come back down to the leagues um, and at times just to get that little bit of I think that acknowledgement of do you know what a bunch of young kids here have done really well um, and it's the effort that goes into that um, yes it's what the players on the pitch put into that as well but actually there's an awful lot that goes in behind in terms of a the coaching element but then trying to get that connection with everyone that everyone's pulling on the same page and that kind of spirit and stuff like that so I guess for me it's those performances where there's been some real resilience in it um, and again we, we had one this year where you know we, we were playing against Exeter and probably for about 70 minutes in the game we were second best by a long way um, yeah. and the girls dug deep and you know turned on a you know they hung in there for the for the 70 and then turned it on the last 10 to to pip it in an hour by the right at the end so again probably performances like that I think that are the, the highs of me where you can see a lot of the hard work and that effort's been sort of brought to fruition yeah and I think it's a good point when you get that feedback from like other people like other teams or other coaches you know um about the work that, that you are putting in um and, that, and yeah like you said punching above your weight is that's probably some of the best comments you can get as from other coaches um and that's awesome mate um yeah yeah I was just gonna say it's you know it's one of the bits of me on that is also it's really pleasing to see the players' reaction afterwards. Um, you know, you can see how much it means to them, and especially when they've won a close one and things like that. It's um, you know, it definitely uh, make, makes it worth it. Yeah, um, and when you give that feedback to the like you said to the players that oh, you know, so and so has noticed, you know, like how well years have done, or you know, it just it puffs their chests up as well. You know. Um, so that's 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 really good, mate. Um, so let's sort of we can look at because um, I know you do a lot of stuff in the in the women's space, and 
um, as we both know, it's probably one of the, if not the fastest growing sport in the world, it's up there. Um, women's rugby, both in 15s and sevens around the world, it's just starting to explode. Um, so we can talk about um, the women's game. Um, so what's some of the lessons that you've learned um, coaching the women's teams as opposed to the stuff that you've, you've done with the men's team? Because I've recently coached the women's teams and there's a lot of different lessons you take away from both. Yeah, I think probably the one for me, and it's probably the bit that I've enjoyed the most in terms of coaching female players is I want to know why. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, I think once you understand it, it's not that, and I've never viewed it that way, but I've, I've spoke to a few people who have viewed it that way. It's not that they're trying to question or challenge your knowledge. They just want to know why. Yeah. Why do you want me to do this? And I think from a, from a coaching perspective, that's brilliant because you need to know why it's not, I'm just, well, I've seen this drill and I'm just going to copy it because that's what somebody else does. And yeah. it's for you, that's, for your own coaching, I think it's brilliant in terms of developing that and actually being able to articulate that message sometimes to the players in in a way that they understand. Um, it's, you know, I've definitely found really enjoyable in terms of coaching in that female space um, is just their curiosity with the game. Um, and with a lot of them, they bring no baggage. Yes. You know, they don't come with, well, they've told me I do it this way, so I'm going to do it that way, which... You know, I've, I've had a few conversations with some men's academy coaches and they've found that they said some of the boys they find quite difficult because someone has told them to do it this way and that's how I do it. Well, actually, they're not open to other ideas. So it's definitely, for me, one of the enjoyable things is, A, I guess that little bit of challenge from a coach in terms of because they want to know why. Uh, then also just the, the openness of the girls to coaching. Um, you know, they're, they are brilliant to coach. I do, you know, massively enjoy um, coaching in that female space. Yeah, and you're right about they want to know the why, um, which I learned really quickly. Um, and just <clears throat> their, their not, not that they don't have the lack of knowledge, but you will say something thinking that they should know what you mean because you've coached men that have played since they were six. You know, like one of the girls asked me what tram tracks were and I went, you know, like, then you have to explain, you know, that's, oh, okay. And you just go, oh, yeah, of course they haven't played, you know, for 10 or 15 years. They might be new to the sport. They might be new to the game. So, yeah, you've really got to be on point with why we why we do things. Yeah. And you're right. They're not questioning your knowledge. They just want to know um, what what it's about and why they're, why they're doing stuff. Um I find that there's a different energy as well around some of the stuff that you do with, with the women. Um, yeah. No, it's, um, so with the, and especially in the women's game, um, I know it's, it's like that here in Australia is you'll get um, a potential elite player who's played for a, you know, maybe four or five years, six years, whatever, and they're going to be, you know, on that track to be a professional player or a representative player. And then you've got a girl that turns up that has never played before or had very minimal. Um, how do you um, keep the 
a potential elite player, keep developing them while keeping the novice um, player engaged and vice versa. Because you don't want to lose the novice player, but you also want to be able to extend both of them. At, so, And that can be challenging in the women's game because you can have really big gaps in experience. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely something that's not easy. Um, I mean, the side I've been coaching that last couple of years, Loughborough, we're um, kind of the... We've got the premiership team, which is like the lightning yeah. side, but then it's also part of like the, the university setup as well. So you will, at certain points of the season, you definitely get to see that where we'll call upon some of the girls from the university side to step up and train with us. Um, and no, it, it can be difficult, I'm not going to lie. Um, but thankfully, there isn't like a, a massive golf, as in it's not complete novice players that step into that environment. I think partly because we're really lucky in terms of the quality of the university players we can call upon um but i guess also i guess from a safety perspective in terms of in the forward stuff but i think something that's and again maybe maybe it's the nature of the the players that are, that are at loughborough that that they're really keen to help others learn so actually some of them more experienced players then almost developing their own knowledge by trying to help and coach people and explain some of the techniquey bits to them as you know kind of really works those players and keeps them involved because ultimately it wasn't that long ago that someone was doing that for them and you know they've they've kind of had that cycle of a senior player doing that to them so I think having I guess the trust in the players and giving the players opportunity to almost coach each other at times like that to almost help you almost have like your four or five assistant coaches on the pitch does does really help in that space um, and again it's Again, not I guess not feeling threatened that they're going to help someone. You know, it's we're all there to get better together and actually using them and using their expertise. Because you know, I'm, I'm pretty lucky with the girls at Loughborough. There's, there's some players that got some fantastic experience there, um, and to call upon it. And like I said, got some people there that are really good people as well that are prepared to help each other. Yeah, no, that's really good, mate. Being and and not just in the women's space, you can use that at at all levels of the game. Is getting the more experienced players to help those um, not so experienced. Yeah, no, that's that's some really... And I found that with the girls this year, with our girls, is some of the more senior players just, you know, they might take two or three minutes and just do a bit of one-on-one -on -one stuff with some of the other girls and you just sort of keep an eye on it, make sure they're doing it right. But, you know, you can focus on other things. Um, Something I have found in that that works quite well is... <clears throat> is having that conversation with the younger player first up before yeah. the session even. Okay. Yep. Whether or not, I think it's, I don't think you can stereotype it completely as it's a, it's a male or female thing, but when, when the players step into that environment, they are, they are bricking it. They're nervous. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Having that, having that little chat with them. Um, Cause you know, some of the girls at Loughborough, you know, you've got some England, Scottish um, internationals, they're playing, um, some of the girls are probably a little bit starstruck when I walk into training and actually yeah. having those conversations with them. And I guess you as a coach as well, just making yourself more accessible for them to talk to because you've already had that conversation. You've already spoken to them. So if they have got those, like a question about something, oh my God, I don't want to ask that in front of everyone. If you've already had that conversation with them pre-training, um, you know, just even it's just pleasantries, just, you know, how are you? So you know each other's names. I think that makes... A really big difference and it's definitely something that I've probably worked on a lot um, probably over these last two or three years in terms of my coaching is kind of that 
trying to get those connections with players in terms mm-hmm. of having those conversations and almost developing almost that element of trust that they'll come and speak to me in terms of that connection that way. Um, it's very difficult. I mean, I'm only, I was only part-time in with the club. So there's guys that, and some of the other coaches there that are there, there's three, four sessions a week. I'd literally drop in for one night a week and match day. So for me, it was quite important to get those connections with the players and sort of try and make those time for those conversations, which is, as we all know, when you're trying to, come from work and get to another, you know, it's very difficult to make that time, but actually there's an awful lot you can get off the back of actually taking that time and effort to try and get somewhere five minutes early and have those conversations with people up the pitch rather than trying to run around and get everything ready. It's um, it's definitely something I've found that's worked a lot for me over these last couple of years. Yeah, and that's some good advice, mate, just making those connections with some players. And I was listening to a pod today and the coach said, he would deliberately time his walks from the change room to the car park to have those little one-on-one conversations. And he said, some nights he goes, I'd make that trip eight times. He said, because it just gave gave the players that, that you know, it might be two or three minutes just to have that little, like he said, one-on-one away from the group. So they're not embarrassed or nervous or, and I thought, well, that's, that's a really, I'm going to try and bring something similar into what, what I'm doing at the moment. But that's the thing. It's, it's very difficult when <laughs> yeah. you're in that kind of grassroots space and you're, you're kind of trying to flip between jobs and get back to families and stuff like that. You know, how you, you make that time. And I think as coaches, you've probably got to be, you know, like you said about that, example that coach said, you've got to be pretty creative in terms of how you can make those little spaces that way. I mean, we've done a number of things this year, which have been quite good. Um, you know, we've had like after training, like coffee clubs or something like that, where almost there's an opportunity for players to be sociable with each other. Um, and again, that creates some opportunities and just to, just to pick off little players here and there in terms of little conversations and stuff like that. I mean, you know, I've definitely done similar things when we've been on bus trips, um, you know, in the, in the queue for coffees at service stations and stops and things like that. It's definitely been times where I've timed my run to the coffee queue. We should yeah, to, uh, yeah. Conversation. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, sometimes they, and I think when, once they know that that's what's going to happen and they don't get the, oh, oh shit, what does Steve want to talk to me about? Like that nervous, um, oh, he's coming over here, what does he want to talk about? Rather than it's just a, you know, how you going? How's, how's the kids? How's the job? You know, um, blah, blah, just those little touch points that you get with them. Um, I think Again, that's... Again, the, the, the more frequent you can have those touch points to ease of those conversations become yeah and you know like if you know the little bits about the players you know how the family how and things yeah. like that and it definitely does help yeah and i think too it also goes a long way to having the difficult conversations like if a guy's got an injury or you know he's not playing that weekend you've had you've got those touch points with him where you know, then then they know that that conversation's coming from a good place. It's a hard conversation, but from a good place. You're not just, you know, singling out people. And they it sort of gives you that little bit of respect when you've got to have that awkward conversation because it's not easy for us to have that conversation no. either. No, not at all. And there was some there was a podcast I listened to, let's say probably a couple of years ago now. Uh, guy Ben Ryan, um, who coached like Fiji. Oh yeah, Fiji Sevens. Yep. So some of his podcasts are really good, actually. Um, I'm a bit, bit, a bit of a fan of his stuff. And he's, he said a phrase about ruthlessly caring. 
in yes. terms of how you give feedback to people. Um, yeah. That's something that kind of really resonated with me in terms of actually, and again, from a from a teaching space and, you know, from a coaching space, it's that as long as people know it's coming from a good place because you've either got that connections or there's been conversations that have built up to it. Yeah. Typically those conversations, yeah, no one enjoys having those conversations with a coaching perspective. And I think whether if, if players think the coaches do, well, step into coaching. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's the worst thing to do ever. I mean, I know. Right? I still, I still remember really clearly, like being involved with, like England under twenties, ringing players up to tell them they weren't picked. It was horrible, horrible. Most the worst part of that job. Mm. It was just heartbreaking to tell players been desperate to, you know, represent their country, age group stuff, and then you're the one who swings them up and says, look, unfortunately, it, it's not going to happen for you. It's um, it's tough, but um, but no, but. Again, going back to the teaching space, it's definitely that idea, like you say, that connection before. It's definitely something I've said a lot to quite a few trainee teachers I've worked with. Um, is you should never have a bad parents' evening. So when you when you get to meet parents and you speak to them about how kids getting on, you should never have a bad parents' evening because if there's an issue with the kid, it shouldn't come as a shock to them for that first time when you speak to them face to face. Yeah, if there's been an issue. You should have had conversations. You should have had some sort of contact with that parent building up to it. So, when it comes to that face to face, it's not a shock. You know, yep. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Some of the conversations, coaching parents, even have been pretty brutal. Mm. Um, but it's never been a shock to the parent. It's never been a shock to the kid. Um, so, again, I think that's quite a key point you said there about those those elements, those connections become really important in terms of when you've you've got to have some pretty tough conversations with people. And sometimes those conversations can be two-way. Um, when players want to give you feedback and stuff and things like that, you know, if um, you know, they don't feel that they can speak to you in that way as well, it it makes those conversations difficult. And ultimately, you've got to be working together to make things better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, like you said, especially when you've got to have those conversations, if it's a two-way street and they feel comfortable that they can express what they're feeling, Again, it just makes it easier for everybody. Um, you get to know your players. Um, so how would you go about, and especially in the Northern Hemisphere where your seasons can be quite wet and horrible and um, players can find a, numerous reasons not to go to training because it's just, you know, horrible outside or, or whatever like that. So what do you do in your training environment to keep it enjoyable for the athletes? So they go, no, no, we're going to, it's, you know, it's one degree outside and it's, it's raining, but we're going to training because we know Steve's Steve's there and he's going to be doing something for us. So what's some of the stuff that you do to keep it enjoyable? I guess over the last few years, I've, I've been generally lucky in terms of the group I've worked with, um, you know, the, the squads involved in that women's premiership, they're, they're really driven in terms of they're, they're not fussed about it being cold because they want to be there because they want to get better. Yeah. Um, but I think probably tapping into that, because um, I'm just in the process of doing like my, my level four um, mm -hmm. at the moment over here. And um, one of the things I had to talk about was that kind of drill down sort of I guess into that kind of coaching philosophy that you've got. And probably it's always something I found quite difficult to... I guess they're now down to really put a fine point on it, but through the process of doing it, for me, it comes down to 
real simple word of growth. Actually, do the players feel like they're getting better? If the players feel like they're learning and developing, then they'll come and they'll come and they'll work hard. You know, if they if they come into training and they don't feel they're getting any better or they're standing around and it's, you know, oh yeah, I'm not I'm not getting anything from this experience, then I think players will probably vote with their feet. Um, you know, you know, I think it's that it's that feeling that they're growing and getting better, but then also going back to that connection piece as well, amongst the players, that there's got to be that connection between them. If it's just a bunch of individuals that are rocking up, they'll find excuses not to come. But actually, if there's that connection with people they're with, because I know that I'm going to be there because they're going to be there, they're going to be working hard, we all want to try and pull in the same direction. I think that that's a, that's a part of it that can help as well. And that's probably, again, the, the, the real difficult bit, I guess, for that kind of, the part-time grassroots coach in terms of how do you make time to try and develop those aspects as well as all the sessions, as well as your full-time job, as well mm-hmm. as your family. It's, it, it does pull you in lots and lots of different directions, but, you know, I think if players feel like they're growing and getting better and they're enjoying the space and the people that they're with, I think that goes a long way in terms of that motivation with players. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, how do you find it down in the Southern Because our, our perception down in the Southern Hemisphere, it must be beautiful. The sun's shining all the while. It must be nice and sunny. Uh, yeah, well, see, I'm, I'm in Melbourne, so our winters can be um, windy and, you know, 10, 10 degrees um, in some points. Um, our, our home ground is notorious for wind, um, just the cold breeze, wind, wind coming through. Uh, but yeah, a lot of pl- lot of places are blessed with good weather all winter. Um, but yeah, it's hard. Um, like you said, when you've got players coming from work, and you know it's dark when they get there. It's dark when they go home. It's it's wet and it's horrible. And we tend to get, especially in Melbourne, we get it's not rain. It's this moisture that comes out of the air, but it's it's not enough to go. Oh, I need to put a jacket on, but it's you know it's just I don't know, it's like a mist. But yeah, it's just it's just really weird. So it's yeah, it's it's a strange. They call it the Melbourne mist, where it's just yeah, it's not raining, but it's not fo- it's not a fog. It's just sort of like if you took a bottle and squirted it in the air and it just falls down. That's what it's like. So. Okay. Um, that's what we get down here. Um, yeah, and we just try and keep things, um, like we said, we, we get the get the boys to work hard, um, and, you know, and like we said, if you get 1% better every week, you know, that, that's our goal for, for all our players. Um, pre-seasons can be difficult for us because it's summer um, and we get a lot of, we get a lot of expats over from, you know, through Europe and all through those places and they get here in the summer and they're going, I'm not going to rugby training. There's, there's this orange thing in the sky that I haven't seen for 20 years. So, you know, we, we often don't see those boys in the summer because they're off, you know, travelling and, and doing that, which is, you know, that's that's fine. We're, you know, like, yeah, go and enjoy yourself. And, you know, you're here to, you're here to travel and see things. Go and do it. And then, um, but yeah, so that's some of the challenges we have. Um Yes, we, we try. It's quite good because of the nature of the squad. Left, we've got the Canadian internationals. Um, okay, yeah. And um, 
their, their some of their stories from how they they're training back home and it's like mm. minus ten. It's mm. like snow on the pitch, which is like so. It's, it's almost like a bit of an in, in joke with a few of them that when you get some proper cold British weather, it's like must be like summer for you girls, isn't it? And yeah, you know, they see the funny side of it. So yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's. But however, we did. Um, we have got an, Aust- an American girl with us who's um, Fiji origin. Um, oh yeah, and she's <laughs> been living in California, and she we played uh, a team sail. And yeah, possibly some of the wettest, coldest weather ever. And yeah, her, her sort of semi-joking comment after the game when she finally warmed up was, "I, I thought I was going to die out there. I was so cold." Um, yeah. So for her, it was a real shock to the system in terms of coming and playing in the UK. But um, but now she's enjoyed it. Um, it's definitely one of the things. Like, again, it goes back to those little connections you get with players, isn't it? In terms of joking about things like that, I think which which helps. Yeah, and that's right. You can, if you can keep it a bit lighthearted and have, like you said, a bit of fun about it. You know, you've got girls that are saying it's not really cold at all, and you've got other others that are just like, no, this is this is ridiculous, this is the cold, or the, like for us, we often get it the other way, you know, oh, summertime, it's, it's warm and we're going, it's 20 degrees, mate, it's not, it's not warm yet, so, yeah, they're the same, they're the same problems, just a little different all around the world, yeah. I think, yeah, um, now that's good, mate, thank you very much for that, um, feedback, um, feedback seems to be, I know it's a work on for me, it's a, it's a big work on for a lot of coaches is how do we give feedback? How do you give the right feedback to the right person? Because, um, I don't know, when I played, there was one type of feedback and you'd never use that anymore. You know, it was the, this is crap, you're crap, this is rubbish, do that. And it was just like, oh, okay, how do I do that? Obviously, thank goodness, none of that feedback is around anymore. Um what, what have you found to be the best way um, to give feedback, both individual uh, individually is a bit difficult because every player is different, but to a group. Um, so like mid-training, if, you, if you're doing a, a drill and you stop the drill to give them feedback or during the game, um, like that, that group feedback, what, what have you found is the best way to um, give that? I, I guess it kind of varies on like the situation if that makes sense yeah um, if if time sort of on the pressure and it's in a game sometimes you have to be relatively direct with it yeah um, and i guess the challenge then is how do you convey the message in the simplest possible way that they'll understand because ultimately it's very it's very easy for a coach to be talking about lots of technical points and stuff like that but it's very difficult for players to take it in when they're absolutely blowing and you know, they've been whacking people for 30, 40 minutes and then all of a sudden mm. they're trying to concentrate what you're saying and catch their breath. So I think tr- trying to be real clear in what the, what you're trying to get across um, yep. in those kind of moments. Um, if it's not so time pressured, see, kind of coaching is time pressured but not time pressured because we kind of, we, we try and sort of, we have set amount of time we have to get through bits to just to keep the continuity of the session and try and keep the intensity of the session up. So we kind of work in little blocks. So again, in your back of your mind, you're conscious. You don't want too long a conversation about something because you want to try and keep the intensity up. So it's, I think, just trying to find that balance between the questioning and the telling. Um, 
is the best way to get out of them. So sometimes if you're lucky enough to have some experienced players around, questioning works quite well because um, the players will come back with some pretty pretty direct points for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Quite lucky in that respect as some of the players that cover pretty knowledgeable and they're, you know, they're, they can deliver a message pretty well. Um, with, I guess when I did some of the, the age group stuff or like the pathway stuff, the lack of experience of the players meant it was more upon you as a coach to get those points across. Um, and actually, you know, again, like I said earlier, about being quite succinct about them, but then I think it's it's how you follow up the sessions, I think, that comes quite important in terms of some of those conversations with players afterwards. You know, in the drill I said about this or in the game, we spoke about this here. Does that make sense to you? Well, I kind of did it because you told me, but I don't really know why. Yeah. And that's where... I think those little follow-up conversations become quite important. Um, you know, it's some, sometimes not ideal timing straight after the game, but then actually, while it's quite fresh in their mind, it can actually be quite a good time to have those conversations with players. Um, because I guess as you kind of, like we said earlier, you, you, your time you run coming off the pitch to accidentally bump into players or sort of as their players are stood around kind of stretching stuff, you can make mm. conversations with individuals that way and just, pick up on a couple of points or clarify a couple of points that way. Um, you know, I know, again, trying to get some feedback from the players as well is sometimes quite useful then. You know, you've, you've got a feel of what's going on in the game, but actually using that time to talk to a couple of key players about how they felt it's gone as well and get their, I think they call it like hot feedback in terms of stuff at the moment. I think it's like the, the jazzy name for it at the moment, but obviously just how they felt, how the game went, and that, you know, pretty much when it's quite raw to administer out of the pitch. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's tough. It's trying to make that blend of sometimes you've got to be direct. Sometimes you've got to question a bit and then sometimes it's direct and then following up later with some questions, I think, which it's, it, well, I felt it's worked for me. Um, yeah. Maybe there some players out there will disagree. I don't know. Yeah. And that's the difficult part I've found at, you know, whether it's like you said, age grade stuff or, senior men's or whatever it's it's getting that balance right especially in a group dynamic of you know some guys like that direct just tell me where i need to be and then others will so just sort of and it comes back to that building those relationships and knowing knowing the group that you've got um and I, I know there's there's a couple of players i've worked with in the past who are ultra like i don't want to say negative but they'll just fixate on what they did wrong. Yeah. They're almost like perfectionist. That game was rubbish. Why was it rubbish? Because I missed these I missed these two tackles and I got turned over that breakdown. Okay, but you scored three tries and you made a 40 meter break. Yeah, no, yeah. but it's all about it's all about the tackles that I missed and the ball I lost in contact. Yeah. Or the high ball I got. Or I made the wrong line out call. They just get completely fixated on what they did wrong. And actually, like you said, knowing the player, sometimes you not saying you've got to fluff it up for them, but sometimes you almost got to be a bit kind to them in terms of trying to get them to reflect on what they did well. Yeah. Whereas some players, they they don't they don't pick up on some of the things they did wrong, should we say? And then those kind of conversations are very very different for those different types of players. Mm. Again, like you said, it's that it's that knowing them um, and actually knowing which players respond to that directness. And from experience, there's definitely some players that don't respond well to being direct. Yeah, some some like a big carrot and a little stick, and some like a big stick and a little carrot. So, yeah. and if you 
sometimes you get that wrong, it can put that connection and that relationship back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's and it's it's bloody hard, like you said, because you, you've got limited time with them, you know, and you're, you know, I, like most coaches, you go straight from work to training, so you're trying to switch off from work and switch into training mode, and and they're doing the same, you know, they've had stuff going on at work or you know yeah so it's it can be that quite difficult to get that connection right um but yeah like you said when it does work i've got players that, that i've coached now that they ring me and you know we just have open conversations and um because like you said they know it's come the conversations are from a good place or you know um, but yeah, I know the players you mean that they fixate on, oh, yeah, I missed a tackle. Yeah, but you made five turnovers, mate. Yeah, but I missed that one tackle. Yeah, so what? You know, like, yeah. And, well, yeah, getting, getting to know our players, um, <coughs> which is really good. Um, coach development um, versus coach education. So, for me, coach education is all the – you know, your level one, level two, level three, level four, whatever, whatever, whatever they are. Which, yes, you need to do. I agree with it, that you need to do them. Um, but it's the other stuff that we do um, to help us develop as coaches. Because, um, uh, like, I've been on some of those accredited coaching courses, and you walk away and you just go, "I don't even know what I learned." Like you don't feel you've learned anything or, you know, but it's the connections that you make and the things that we do away from those training courses. So um, what have, what advice have you got around development for coaches um, or is there, you know, podcasts, books, seminars, anything like that, that, that you attend could recommend the importance of development rather than just doing education um, I think I've always been quite curious. I think that's hopefully that comes through at the start in terms of how I ended up getting into coaching. Yeah, yeah, coaching yeah. Business in terms of, I kind of realised that I didn't really know the game that well. Um, actually, there's a lot more to it I wanted to. And it's probably one of those things now where I probably still don't feel I know enough about the game. Um, and so I guess I've got that curious nature in me because I can't remember what I heard. It was a quote that, People only know what they know. Mm. So actually, you need to go and know more um, if you're going to get any better at stuff. You know, if you're going to alter, you know, I guess like the players, they, they want to be the best that they can be. I, I want to try and become the best that I can be, whether it be coaching, teaching, being a parent, something like that. And actually, I think trying to be quite diverse and where you get some of the information from. Um, I think the nature of being a PE teacher on... I'm a general sports fan, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not just a rugby fan. I, I pretty much, for, for as much as it tortures my wife, um, I pretty much watch everything and anything that's going. Um, yeah. And it's, I think the lessons you can learn from other sports and other environments, which I think is some of the key development bits of me, um, you know, got to an age now where, <clears throat> I was only joking about it the other day in the office actually, where on car journeys now, I listen to podcasts or listen to books. Um rather than listen to music. I think you hit a certain age, maybe. But no, there's definitely some bits up there I've listened and, you know, 
I try and have quite an eclectic range of stuff that I listen to or things that I read um, and some bits you can pick up from, yes, other sports, but then also I think other branches of life as well. Um, you know, there's, um, not sure whether it's hit your way or not. There's a, there's a podcast over here in the UK that's pretty popular called the High Performance Podcast. Yes. Um, that's a really good one. Um, the, the guy, Damien Hughes, who's like, I guess, like the psychology expert that talks on it mm. um, in a couple of books um which i've read and his stuff's really interesting actually um but the nature of it is just they speak to lots of people from different walks of life uh, whether it be musicians or business people and stuff like that and there's always i think little nuggets and stuff you can pick up on um in terms of how to i guess talk to people and in, interpret situations as well um you know Ben Ryan, one I spoke about earlier, that's a pretty good one to listen to. Um, you know, there's some some very good stuff that Stuart Lancaster puts out um, mm. online. Um, definitely a big fan of some of the stuff he puts out as well. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's that just actively being curious. Actually, I'm going to yeah. you know what? I don't know anything about this person, but I'm going to give him a listen to and see see what I can take from it in terms of being quite open to stuff. Um, you know and Objects, then it's, I guess, what you do with that information. You know, a lot of stuff I listen to probably doesn't apply to me or doesn't, I don't feel that it, it would work for me, but there's definitely bits that you can take from it. So I think it's, yes, learning and trying to get information from lots of different sources, but ultimately, got to hold on to your own identity as well at the same time, rather than just being the latest gimmick that you heard or thing you've listened to. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, and that's a really good point because I don't know, I've I've been out and watched, you know, especially junior coaches, and they're doing a drill, and you go, oh, you've seen that on YouTube, or or you've seen Eddie Jones run that, or because they don't actually know, like you said, they 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 don't know what the outcome is, they've just seen it and gone, oh, that works for, you know, this these guys doing that. Yeah, of course it is. That's because they've spent hours planning what they're going to do. Um, yeah, and just um, be be yourself. Um, I spoke to a guy. He was he's in New Zealand, and he said he knew a coach that every time he went to a seminar, he'd come back. And he said you could tell which coaches had been at that seminar because he'd be doing those drills, the exact drills the next week. And he goes, "You're not actually. You just like I said, copy paste." Instead of putting your own little spin on it, and and you know, I think COVID, as much as it was what it was, has opened the world up to a lot of development for in in this space. Like I've I've been on numerous you know Zoom conferences and you know with people from all around the world, and just like you said, you take little snippets from every conversation you have. Um, yeah, I think on that point now, I know something that's been pretty, you know, really useful for me is going and watch other people coach. And yes, yeah. But then it's it's the little conversations afterwards. I mean, I've been I've been really lucky in terms of with the the women's stuff that I've done um, when I was doing the under twenties. Um, the forwards coach for the women's senior side, Matthew Ferguson, so he's like the scrum coach in Northampton now. Um, he he was really connected with us in terms of the pathway. Mm -hmm. and he'd come in and watch sessions and even now um 
because he coached in Northampton. I live in Northampton. Um, every now and then we'll, we'll have a catch up, um, and we're due to have a catch up actually this week actually. And again, really open to coming to watch training and stuff like that. But it's it's not just going in and watching the drills. It's the little follow up conversations afterwards, and I think possibly being prepared to ask people that question. So you're doing that drill. What, why were you doing that? And again, yes. whether that's just from my experience from being around female players that ask me that, that I now feel that it's okay to ask that question. I don't know whether it's just the nature of being curious because ultimately, like you said, you either see a drill and just copy and paste it and put it into your coaching, but then you don't understand the context, don't understand why. Mm. I mean, some of the strong stuff he does is, you know, it's there's, there's some general principles there, but there'll also be some specific, some specific stuff that's tailored to the opposition that have that weekend. And again, without knowing the context of why they're trying to do that to exploit the weakness, you just see it as another drill. You don't really get that fuller, deeper understanding of it. And yeah, again, I guess that, that's the problem, is it, in terms of A, having the time to do that or having the connections to be able to do that, um, to go and watch people train. Um, I guess is I... It's that real challenge for the grassroots coach. Um, but from what I've found, ask. You know, coaches yeah. that are in that top end, are, you know, they they don't live in a little bubble where they they think they're above everyone. A lot of them are, are really good people and are happy to help. Yeah, and that's what I found. Like with this COVID stuff, like I've spoken to coaches from all over the place, and ninety nine percent of them are happy to give you their time. And if they haven't been, they've it's been because, you know, they've got they're busy or, you know, they just don't fob you off. It might be, oh, I can make this day, but not that day. Like there's um, like you said, they 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 are really generous with their time. Um, especially when you ask them, like you said, you're watching them do something and you go, Oh, what's that? Because it like you said, it could be an isolation drill. It could be, you know, they're working on the tight head, keeping his shoulder down. So they've designed a drill just for that player to do. And if you don't know the context of it, you take it back and you do it and achieve nothing. Yep. You know, and you know, that, 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 that drill's useless. Yeah, it is. Cause your guy can actually do what the drill was designed to, for, for that player. So, um, but I think a lot of younger coaches, um, I don't know whether they're scared or they just don't feel that they can reach out to more senior coaches. Um, but I think I think it is changing a little bit now with this, um, you know, with Zooms and and stuff like that, and these big not conferences but multi webinars and stuff like that. So no, but you're right, mate. That, that, that would be my advice in terms of to yeah. connect and ask. Um, like yep. I said, very rarely do people fob you off. They, they mm. might like might be busy. Um, yeah. Always, people are always prepared to give their time up, and probably comes that space that at some point, somewhere along the line, someone gave some time up to help them out. Um, you know, yeah, it's almost that pay it forward kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, and I think too, like, yeah, the guys you speak to, they go, yeah, well, you know, so and so took me under their wing, so you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make the game, the game better. Now that that's really good, Steve. Um, one last, one last point we can discuss is. So if you could get in a time machine and go back to when you first started coaching, um, what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? Um, probably you don't 
you don't know as much as you, what you think you do right now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's, there's, I remember seeing some sort of theory somewhere about this like curve of like, no, I think it's like the Ebbinghaus curve or something where you start off like you think you know everything. And then all of a sudden you start to realise, actually, I don't really know a bus is not here at all. Um, mm. And then you start to come back out of that towards the back end. Because um, like I said, from my, from my experience from playing, I knew, I knew my role as a second row. Yeah. Which, let's be honest, isn't the most complicated in the world. Um, <laughs> you, you do what your front row tell you. You stick your head in, you push pretty hard and you jump. And yeah. you've got yeah. a little bit about you can call a line out. Um, but to then step into coaching and... At first, thought, wow, this, yeah, you know, I played to a decent, a decent enough level. You know, I can coach these boys. And can't be that hard. Yeah, yeah, that that would probably be my advice in terms of going back to the early days of coaching. Um, mm. you, you you don't know as much as what you think you know. Um, and then probably to my midpoint of my coaching, it'll probably be a, the opposite. You probably know a little bit more than what you think you know. When you yeah. get that kind of that bit in the middle where you just think, oh my god, I know nothing here. Yeah, you actually, probably know more than you realise because you actually are questioning what you know. I think that's yeah. the key bit of it. But it's that kind of journey as a coach of feel really confident, you know everything, and then oh, I probably don't know enough here and start to come out the other side. And then, and then you start realising the more you get into it, the less you you know. Yeah. So you, it's sort of that, that wave effect. Um, and I, I thought not the more you get into it, the more you don't know. I think the more you get into it, the more you want to know. Um, like you said, because we're always thirsty for that that knowledge and that development. Um, that, that that's a bit for me. It's that curiosity, I think, which is which, which keeps me interested in coaching. Um, yeah. You know, it's you know, it's it's great to be around the players and the stuff like that. But ultimately, I'd like to think that my coaching has changed significantly over the probably the last two years to the two years before that to the two years before yeah. that. You know and. Yeah, that's what I think keeps me interested and keeps me motivated in it in terms of focus and trying to almost chase that that unachievable goal of getting there, if that makes sense, as yeah. knowing the coach. Yeah, I know what you mean. And yeah, I'm the same, Matt. I, I coach way different than I used to um, a couple of years ago and vastly different from what I used when I first started coaching. Um, I cringe to think of some of the stuff I used to do when I first started coaching, um, you know, but that's, that's all part of the journey and learning and, you know, making ourselves better. Um, mate, this has been absolutely awesome. Um, thanks mate for your time. Um, finally get to put a face to a name. Um, yeah. and I'm sure the listeners have got some little nuggets of gold out of that. I know I've written a few things down here. Um, and like I say to most of the guys I talk to, if I talk to a hundred coaches and I take one thing away, I've learned a hundred new things. Yeah, no, definitely. So, and that's, that's sort of my philosophy at the moment is every, every coach I talk to, I try and take at least one thing away from. Um, so mate, thanks so much for your time. This has been awesome. Um, no, mate, thank you for inviting me on. No, no problem. Um, thanks mate. And good luck with, uh, next year. Yeah, no, thank you. No worries. A mighty man, Leicester, have driven them off their own ball. That is monstrous. Stephen Hill at the back by the foot of Ben Morgan, kept in and England, marching it on.